Here's some more on the uh, flash trading plague. This out of Newsweek. On April 26th, the Dow Jones Industrial Average stood at 11,205, up nearly 70% since its low in March of 2009. While there were bumps along the way, the ride from 6,500 to 11,205 was generally smooth and steady. But the placid markets were about to get hit by a tsunami. When it became evident that Greece's financial woes might spark a Europe-wide sovereign debt crisis, the waters began to churn. The Dow lost 214 points on April 27th and posted triple-digit moves on 13 of the next 17 trading days. That's high volatility. That's bad news. Worst was the flash crash of May 6th when the Dow lost 998 points in a matter of minutes, only to rally more than 600 before closing down nearly 350 points. That's insane. That's not stock market trading. That's digital madness. Suppressed for much of the recovery that began in the spring of 2009, market volatility has come roaring back. On May 21st, the VIX, which measures the volatility of the Standard & Poor's 500 and is also known as the Fear Index, spiked 25%. Hey, fear is up a quarter. Who's to blame? Many analysts have fingered high-frequency traders, computer jockeys who plug complex trading algorithms into super-fast computers and scour the markets for tiny price differentials. Yeah, they're really doing us a big favor. There is nothing productive going on here. It's just the trading and shaving of pennies. They want to do it? Fine. They should do it in some other stock market, and they should be taxed at 98%. Have fun. You're not doing anything good for anybody. You don't make any real money doing it. See, by trading vast amounts of stock at warp speed, as many as a billion shares a day, high-frequency traders gobble up fractions of a cent at a time. The more volatile the market, the easier it is for them to make money jumping in and out of stocks across exchanges. Ah, across very exchanges who don't talk to each other. So the stock market still harken back to the coffee houses of 17th century England, and we're in 21st century America, you know? Four core processors. You know, somebody got the gig of putting the gig in the gigabyte, and nobody has figured it out except these computer jockeys, most of whom are in tiny buildings under McDonald's in New Jersey or something else is charming. Markets become volatile when liquidity dries up. In other words, when people can't trade stocks when they want at a fair price, high-frequency traders thrive off volatility because when liquidity is in short supply, it becomes very profitable to provide it, says Manoj Narang, founder and CEO of Tradeworks, W-O-R-X. My, can he spell? A hedge fund and high-frequency trading firm in Red Bank, New Jersey. So Manoj Narang is the one that's making uh, volatility or liquidity available to the American or the world public. I don't trust him. Politicians and regulators are starting to get nervous. Hmm, maybe about time. I'm afraid that we're sowing the seeds of the next financial crash, said Senator Ted Kaufman, the new Democratic senator from Delaware, arguably D.C.'s most vociferous critic of high-frequency trading, or what they call HFT. Will you go, guy? Within weeks of taking over Joe Biden's seat in early 2009, Kaufman, a Wharton MBA and longtime aide to Biden, was pushing for stringent financial reforms. Last August, he focused on HFT, urging the Securities and Exchange Commission to take a ground-up review of the entire electronic market structure. 
I don't know if they have the wherewithal to do it. We're dealing with something highly complex and completely unregulated, he told Newsweek in March. The last time we had that mix, with the practitioners telling us, don't worry about it, things didn't end well. The time for trust us went out the window a long time ago. High-frequency traders may have become the new villains of finance, but their computer-driven methods, which now account for upwards of 70% of all U.S. equity volume, they aren't going away. We can't make them go away, but we can make it a lot less profitable and a lot less fun. To a large degree, fundamental investment strategies, i.e. buying and selling stocks based on a company's performance. Remember when you used to invest in a company because of its performance? Well, they've taken a backseat to algorithms hunting for inefficiencies. It's a stock market point and shoot game. These are we're being gamed. The entire economy is being gamed. And the practice is beginning to spread from the US stock market into new areas, Europe, Canada, Brazil, India, and other asset classes like bonds and futures and currencies and soon toxic derivatives. Assuming the financial regulatory reform bill forces derivatives onto exchanges, high-frequency traders will no doubt trade in them, too. They'll trade in anything. They're not touching it. It's the motherboard that's doing it. We're, you know, that motherboard. And every day, things are getting faster. Four years ago, executing a trade in a millisecond, thousandth of a second, was considered fast. I think that's fast. Now the top firms are trading in microseconds. That's one millionth of a second. How long before nanoseconds and picoseconds? The last few weeks have been the biggest bonanza for HFT firms since the crash of the late 2008 and early 2009, when the Dow buckled and thrashed its way down to 6,500 on March 9th. While most long-term investors lost their shirts during the Great Panic of 2008, high-frequency traders posted huge profits and went out and bought expensive handmade shirts. That was the Golden Goose area, says Narang, whose HFT shop launched in March 2009 and just finished its most profitable month. Close him down. It is precisely this ability to profit amid widespread carnage that has aroused the attention of regulators. It's like all the plague dandies that walk over the dead bodies wearing the big, long, black wax noses. That's who Narang and his booster boys are. They are walking on top of the carnage of our economy. Many have come to see high-frequency traders as nothing but digital piranhas. Hmm, that's good. Creating feeding frenzies that send the market into violet swings for their own profit. Well, why aren't we stopping them? Still, the first wave of regulation to come after the flash crash hasn't been aimed at speed traders, but at the exchanges, which... Uh, 10 years after going electronic are still largely a patchwork of cobbled together systems. So far, high-frequency traders have emerged unscathed. Let's do something about this. Uh, here's one from uh, Huffington. Kenneth I. Starr. This is not the Ken Starr that, you know, tried to and probably ruined President Clinton, right? The one who, who terrorized Monica Lewinsky. No. Kenneth I. Starr played a game of hide-and-go-seek with prosecutors recently. Accused of stealing $30 million from clients like Wesley Snipes, Sylvester Stallone, and Martin Scorsese, the financial advisor to the stars was found crouched behind coats in the closet of his Upper East Side apartment and yanked out by the collar, according to the AP. Mr. Starr, 65, had a number of hiding places to choose from. Why? Because his this manse that we're talking about, this East Upper East Side manse, had, uh, let's see, five bedrooms, Mm -hmm. Six and a half baths 
and a 1,500-foot square garden on the main floor. And a big safe where he kept all that money. Yeah, he should have hidden in the safe. There you go. 1,500-foot garden? Yeah. Was he good? Like corn? uh, Who knows? He was, you know, maybe growing pot. I don't know. Starr's alleged fraud is characteristic of a Ponzi scheme, said Robert Berenger, a special agent for the IRS. The investment advisor illegally held clients' assets at the offices of Starr & Company in Midtown Manhattan, says Daily Finance, just blocks away from the old office of Bernard L. Madoff. Mm. Investment securities. Oh, he's kind of Bernie light, right? Much like Bernie, who is serving a 150-year sentence for bilking tens of billions of dollars from his closely knit network of clients and charities and colleges, Ken Starr of Manhattan cultivated businesses, business at charity events and lavish parties, bridging the worlds of New York and Hollywood to build a star-studded client list of socialites, not socialists, socialites, financiers, and philanthropists. And you can't be one and the other. Oh, and A-list actors and Hall of Fame athletes, one of whom I think is going to come and take his head off. Mm-hmm. Also charged, here's the one, though, yeah. man, New Yorkers okay. just, they wince. Also charged is former president of the New York City Council and New York State Assemblyman Andrew Stein, who regulators describe as an associate of Stars. Stein allegedly used money from shell corporations funded by Stars clients to pay for personal expenses like a summer home in the Hamptons. Oh, God. Oh, Can't they my. ever learn? No, they never, never learn. Bilk, bilk, bilk until they're pulled out of their closet well, by the collar. In New York, it's states. I mean, New York is literally full of gangster politicians in Albany. There's just, there. I mean, I'm sure there's some guys who are saying, I really, how do you write a bill exactly? Because I really, I got a good idea here. It has to do with shellfish. Somebody in my hometown. No, sh- said, that's Shell Corporation. Oh, so Shell Corporation. That, that you're going to milch from. Oh. Here's the thing. The Big Apple people, the Gothamites are considered, you know, savvy and cynical and, you know, they'd rather say no than yes and all that. And yet it's in New York that these mumsers are raking all this money and pulling these incredible scams. Bernie Madoff was declared online trader of the year two times by Barron's, the big financial newspaper, a man who it is revealed never made a trade in his life. The show is cold Oh, when you stood me up The show is cold you put my head on the chopping block Yeah Show's cold Yeah Show's cold, baby You're not coming home Show is cold,
thing I own. 